This is Kendra Connor, worship leader at Christ Center Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages, actually a few passages tonight from God's Word. I'm going to read those, but I'm not going to have you turn to them uh, as we read them to begin tonight because it's, I don't want everyone flippity flopping their way through Scripture. We will be doing that, though. You will have that opportunity to take a look at it. But for right now, to open, I would like to read them first. The first passage tonight we find in Psalm chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Second passage comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. And that reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lead on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And the final passage we'll look at is from Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3. And it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Let's pray. Father God, we see this wisdom literature tonight, and Lord, I ask that it would be a wisdom that we would pay heed to, that we we would adopt in our own lives as well. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the way that it does instruct and teach and counsel us. And I ask that we would be good students during this uh, next the next few minutes that we have today. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So there was a story of a kingdom, and that kingdom, of course, had a king. The king was somewhat progressive in how he meted out judgment to the criminals that were in that kingdom, and he devised a clever punishment in the form of a choice on the part of the accused. Within the arena, within the kingdom, the person who was accused would be brought into the arena and he would be placed or she would be placed in front of two doors. Now, this would be a huge public spectacle where everyone in the city would be invited to come and watch and see what choice the accused made on that day where judgment was meted out. Behind one door was a woman, or a man, or what have you. And this person was who the king deemed was an appropriate match for the accused. And if the person went and chose that door, they would instantly and immediately be wed to whoever the person was behind the door. No questions asked, that's the way it was. It didn't matter if they were already married or what have you. This was intended and meant to be a time of celebration for everyone in the city though many, of course, were amused by it. And it was a form of entertainment, but he believed that that was the judgment that the accused deserved if they were, in fact, innocent. Behind the other door was a vicious cat, generally a tiger. And if the person chose that door and opened it, the animal, starved to the point where it would attack anything, would leap from the door and attack and kill and eat the accused, the criminal. And that judgment would be meted out as though they were guilty, and that was how it was perceived by the entire kingdom. Now that king had a daughter, a princess, and he loved her very much. And 
he had a, he was a bit bigoted against those who were of lower class, and his daughter, the princess, fell in love with one of lower status. She loved him, she wanted to be with him, and the king discovered this. And in the king's mind, that was a crime that needed to be punished, that needed to be judged. So he imprisoned the man, and he would have to make a choice that fateful day in the arena of choosing the door that had the woman behind it, whom he would then have to marry, who was not his daughter, or he would be eaten by the tiger. Well, the princess, of course, who was forlorn at the fact that her beloved would be put into the arena and would be facing the choice of marrying someone who was not her or being eaten in front of everyone by a tiger, she went about trying to discern and find out what was behind each door. So she used her political clout to get the information that she needed to get the answer to what was behind which door. On the day that her beloved would be taken out into the arena to either be wet or be eaten, she was standing next to her father, the king, up above the entrance, and as the man was brought in and before he could make that choice, he looked to her to get some kind of an indication regarding which door to choose. She very stealthily indicated or pointed to the right door. Not the correct door, but the actual right-hand door. Now, we don't know the end of the story. We don't know which door he chooses. And we do know that the princess was aware of the other woman that was behind the door and did not like her at all. She was another girl in the kingdom who uh, many said was prettier than she was. And she had, in fact, seen her beloved interacting with him at various points, various days, and various places in the kingdom. And she suspected and believed that he probably had some feelings for her, was interested in her, and she potentially him. So she, we don't know, she was conflicted about the choice, which she would, would, would she rather have him be married to a woman that she hated or eaten alive by a tiger. Now, he didn't know all of that, but she did. And she indicated what the decision was that he should make based on all of that information. And he then had a choice to make as the accused. Now, again, we don't know what the choice was, and we also don't know what the motive was for the princess in telling him which way to go. And we never find out. The story of the lady and the tiger is intentionally left open for the reader. And even though we never know the outcome, we're giving a glimpse into the mind of the one who is helping to make that choice, the princess. On the surface, though, it seems like the man is choosing, like it's ultimately his choice, and it is, but he is operating on the wisdom or the information that he gets from the princess. Now, conventional wisdom, of course, would be that he would make the informed choice, that he would just trust her with the information that she had and that she would have the best interests of his heart in mind. Now, thankfully, though, the princess's motives are conflicted and arguably questionable at best. We can always know that God always prioritizes for us what is ultimately for our good and his glory when it comes to our decision-making, when we face our various doors in life. And knowing this about our God reveals that while the responsibility rests on us being willing 
to listen to the one God that has all the information when we make decisions. Knowing this, we are going to learn tonight some things that we can do to be ready to make those decisions, because there are some things we can do. Just as that man looked to the princess to get some kind of indication about which way to go and how to choose, we too have someone who gives us that indication as well. And we're going to see from God's word how we can see that, how we can know that, what we need to do going into making those kinds of choices. We read those passages at the beginning, and they are from the wisdom literature. The first written by David, and then the second two written by his son, King Solomon. And tonight as we look at God's word, we're going to see three do's for decision making from the wisdom literature. Three things that we can do in order to make wise decisions from the wisdom literature from God. Tonight, as we look at God's word, we can see that the first do that we can do in order to make wise decisions and know and discern how God is leading when we make our choices and our decisions is the first thing we can do is do be teachable. Do be teachable. Let's look again at Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. Turn there if you like, if you're not already there. David writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Psalm 32 is a wonderful psalm in that you have a bit of a story or a process that the psalmist that David is working through there. In the first several verses, we find him opening this psalm with talking about how awesome it is and how happy it is to find forgiveness in the Lord, and that the Lord doesn't count man's sins against him when he receives that forgiveness from God. And then in the next couple of verses, he describes the turmoil that he was in before he asked forgiveness from God and, and received it. He describes it very viscerally, very physically. But then he says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. He says, I didn't cover up my, uh, I didn't cover up my iniquity, and I confessed my transgressions to the Lord and was forgiven. And what he talks about is he talks about that process and how awesome it is, what he went through, and how great it was when he was forgiven. He then moves into these next several verses, 8 and 9, where he talks about how the Lord taught him. And we see three different words for teach there. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you. Now, that's fun because we have several words that indicate the idea or concept of teaching in English. Not every language has that. In fact, there are many languages that only have one word for teach in their language. But in English, we have several. And that actually kind of points back here to the original language of Scripture in that there are several words in Scripture in the original language, in Hebrew and Aramaic, that indicate or point to this idea of teaching. And one of those in particular is this idea of an active information, that someone is actively doing something in order to impart that information. Like there's not an aggressiveness and a negative connotation, but there's a genuine interest or drive on the part of the person sharing that information with the recipient. And it's a beautiful picture of God's interest in our lives, and how he actively wants us to know the information that we need in order to make God-honoring and wise decisions. 
He's not an impartial observant who sits by and waits to see what choice we're going to make and, and it, it just reacts. He is one who's actively involved in that process of decision-making and choice-making, and he wants to be. As we look at this and we look at the first seven verses of Psalm 32, and we talk about this idea of being teachable, one of the things that we find in this process, and he's actively involved, is that God often brings us teachable moments on the other side of our sin and his forgiveness. God often wants to teach us something on the other side of our failure and forgiveness from him. And when you think about it, when you think about going through that in life and making choices, choices that are sinful according to God's word, and then receiving his forgiveness, he then often will teach us something on the other side of it or even through the process, if we're willing to listen. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's super encouraging because that, that reveals to me that God's not done in my life yet, that he sees the future for me. And if I'm willing to listen to what he wants to teach me through that process about himself and about myself and about the choices that are made, you have the opportunity then to learn and grow. People don't grow if they don't learn. And God gives us that. And when we sin and we come to him in forgiveness, he brings that healing, that restoration, and then says, okay, we went through this, but now we can move forward. And he, he essentially puts his arm around us and says, what did we learn from this? And we see that he wants to do it. He actively wants for us to have that understanding and to be successful in our decision-making. That's the, the, the connotation of one of the other words that's used there in the original language, for instruct and teach and counsel, is this idea of a successful decision, a good decision, the right decision. Not just any, but the one that God wants us to make. He actively wants us to have the understanding that we need. We just have to seek it. Be teachable. Be teachable. Have a heart, a disposition that says, God, yeah, I, I made a bad choice, obviously, that brought me to the point where a sin was committed, and then I received your forgiveness when asking for it. But God, I want to learn from you, from your word, from the other believers in my life, from your Holy Spirit. And I want to go forth making the, the correct decision, the right decisions. And he wants us to do that. He wants us to succeed. When we talk about being teachable, I, I loved the, the contrasting illustration that he gives us here following these three words for teaching. So he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you actively, because he says, with my eye upon you, he's, he's watching, he's involved, he's invested, he's, he's a part of it, and as much as we'll let him be. But then, here's the contrast. So he says, this is how you should be. But then he says, be not. Here's the not, be not. So I guess really we've got three do be's here for this message. There should have been a do be not, right? But that's what it is. So <laughs> I know, I'm just butchering the English language tonight. So he says, be not like a horse or a mule. And I love that he uses both because horses, when they're not doing what they're supposed to, and I share this experience growing up around them, when horses are doing what they're not supposed to, they bolt, they run, they take off, they exercise their will, and they will do whatever they need to do, particularly for riding them and they're not fully broken, to get you off of their back. They will bolt. Well, that contrasts with the mule, doesn't it? Because when a mule is doing what it's not supposed to do, it stays there. 
it hunkers down. You can't pull it. You have to, there's, you can't move it. You can't get it to do anything that it does not want to do. And sometimes, as humans, as people, we are like that in our decision-making too, aren't we? We know there's a choice to be made, and sometimes we bolt for a bolter. Sometimes we just dig in and we go, nope, I'm not going to do it, God. I don't care what you want me to do. It's not going to happen. And God says, don't be like that. And what I love about it is I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about those two animals, especially a donkey. It, it, God's really he's just telling us, don't be a donkey. And, you know, I, I won't go any farther with that, but you can do the math on that one. He says, don't be a donkey. Don't be a horse. Don't be a donkey. Because God's desire is for us to be willingly led in our decision-making. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like the animal who doesn't understand, who doesn't know, who doesn't have all the information, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Because the thing about a horse and a donkey is that ultimately you can exercise your control over the animal, and you can get it to do something. And to, you can have some success. But you see, then it's not really a choice then, is it? It's a coercion. And it's same, the same way with God. God will do what he wants to do in our lives, and he will bring us to where he wants us to be ultimately according to whatever his will is. But it's not our choice at that point. He's brought us there willingly. And, and really, even if it is what he wants, we miss out on some blessing in that situation. We miss out on all of the things that he wanted to give us because we decided to be a donkey in that moment. So he says, be teachable. When you have a decision to make, let me, the master teacher, let you know what you need in order to make that decision because he says, I'm actively involved in it. I'm right there. I'm watching over you. I want to give you the information that you need to make a successful decision so that you can have the understanding in order to choose correctly. Because God, unlike that princess, does in fact have our best interests at heart here when we're making our choices. He says, do be teachable. Is there a decision right now or decisions in your life that you need to make and you're tempted to either bolt or hunker down and dig in and resist? Are there choices that you know that are going to be difficult ones and everything within you wants to react and do one of those two things? God is speaking to you right now and saying, don't do that. If you have a decision or decisions to make, be teachable. Spend time with me. Let me show you the way that you need to go and what you need to do and reveal that to you in the various places and ways and channels with which I will do it. Be teachable. But of course, the wisdom of God does not stop there. We see if we're going to make wise God-honoring decisions, that first we need to be teachable. And then second, the cousin of teachable, not only do we need to be teachable, we also need to be humble. God's word says, if you're going to do those things, if you're going to make decisions, do be humble. Some of my favorite verses in scripture, we'll read them again, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, beginning in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What we have here is a, some of the wisdom of King Solomon in regard to decision making. And these verses, this, this passage, will always be near and dear to my heart because it's one that God wrote on my heart as I was recovering from various surgeries. And it helped me actually get to sleep at night. Just knowing that ultimately God uh, was in control and that I could trust him with whatever was going to happen in my life going forward. And we see even in that first part, it's, if you look at 5 and 6 and then 7 and 8, what we have here are things that God wants us to do in verses 5 and uh, part of 6 and 7. And then he tells us there will be a certain result if we do it in verses 6 and 8. So God says, this is what I want you to do. If you do it, this is what will happen, which is awesome. It's one of the things I love about the Bible is that it's so logical and organized sometimes and, and very straightforward. We make the Bible more complicated than it is sometimes. But we see here in this idea of humility is that in God first wants us to trust him totally in our decision making. He wants us to trust him in our decision making totally. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The heart being the center of your being, the core of who you are. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. He says, yes, of course, you know, you uh, may feel like you know what's right and what you should do. But in the midst of that, trust me that I know even more than you do. Give all of yourself to me for your decision making. And don't trust your own brain. Because our, sometimes our, our, our heart and our emotions and our brain and all that will lead us astray as flawed human beings who have a sin nature. But we must trust him totally in our decision-making. And what happens when we do that? That's what I love about this. In verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him. So with every choice that you have to make and everything that you do, you acknowledge the Lord. And it's not just a passing acknowledgement like, oh, hey, God, and then do your thing. It's this constant pursuit of God and recognizing and there's a submission there. And he will give us direction then as a result. And it says he will make straight your paths. This is the idea that there was once a whole bunch of craziness and a whole bunch of different ways you could go. But now the Lord then says, nope, this is the way to go. It's this idea of success and finding the straight path. And that's what we have here. We're told we can, we can trust him totally in our decision making. And if we do, in fact, he will give us the direction that we need as a result. And to me, that's very comforting. Because I don't know about you, but when you are racked with decisions and you know there's a million different things that you could do and you want to make the right choice, you want to make the God-honoring choice, it's so comforting and encouraging to know that if I take that to God and I give that to him, that he will take care of it. He will help me. He will show me which way to go. And he will make straight my path. Because he tells us, if you will do this, if you will trust me totally with all of your being, with your decisions, he will give direction as a result. But it takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility to acknowledge that we don't know everything. That there's information that we don't have. And that we're not perfect. And no matter how intelligent or even informed we think we are, th there is one who knows more always. And that is God, the one who made us. 
It requires a humility to go, God, I, since I don't know everything and you do, if I trust you, I can know and trust that you will take care of it and you'll give me direction. So there's a, there's a humility to acknowledging our imperfection. So he tells us, he, he says, I want you to trust me. And then there's something else here in verse, uh, the beginning of verse 6, 6a, if you're reading God's word. The way the Psalms are arranged, or sorry, Proverbs, wisdom, and literature is arranged, it's usually two lines, usually an A and a B when you're differentiating them. So the first part of verse 6, the A, in all your ways acknowledge him. And then we see this idea or this concept again in verse 7 of be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What he's talking about here is not only this acknowledgement, this trust with all of our being that God will lead us, there's also this idea of giving reverence to God, a, a personal submission, which is humility as well. It's first acknowledging that you don't know everything, and then acknowledging that he is God, and revering him for that. It's in all of our ways acknowledging him, and then also not being wise in our own eyes, but yet trusting his wisdom, trusting his sovereignty in our decision making, that he does know everything. And not only will he inform us, and not only will he lead us and make straight our paths, but we also find that his direction will be life-giving. It'll be life-giving. No matter what it is, if we're doing what God wants us to do, and we're going where God wants us to go, and we're following his direction and his leading, even though that might be straight through the fire sometimes, God will take care of us. It will be life-giving on the inside from the standpoint of the Spirit. And I, this is interesting. This is contrasted, I believe, with what we, David just wrote that we saw in Psalm 32 in the first part when he talks about how when he made his choices, when he sinned, he talked about how it took the life from his bones and the pain and agony that he experienced. But God says here in Proverbs that if you listen to my direction to make the choices that I want you to make in the way that I'm leading you, verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And how many times in our own lives have we suspected that we know what God wants us to do, but we made our own choice anyway, and it ended up being terrible? It ended up, we ended up feeling awful. We ended up going, well, if I had just listened to what God said, I would be in a totally different place right now. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, revere the Lord. It's that reverence, that submission. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. If you have a decision to make right now, or decisions, as I mentioned, I asked, you know, are you being like the horse or donkey? Now I ask, are you being humble? Are you approaching God with the desire to know what he wants because he knows everything and has all the information. Are you trusting him with all of your being in that decision-making process? And are you revering him? Do you have a, a disposition that's submissive to God in the decision-making decision process that says, God, whatever you want for me, I want for me? Because that's what it comes down to. If you're going to be led by God, ultimately in life, in the way that he wants you to go, it comes down to, God, I want for me what you want for me. And it requires a humility. Because we often don't want what God wants. 
In fact, oftentimes, the choices that we want to make are in direct opposition to what he wants for us. But if we will go, God, I want for me what you want for me, it'll make all the difference. In our emotions, in our thoughts, in our well-being, in life. It will be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. God says, do be teachable. He also says, do be humble. And then lastly, he says, do be prepared. Do be prepared. This is not making a choice or decision. It's not something that we blindly walk into. And we go, okay, God, I want for, you, I want for me whatever you want for me. I'm not going to make any planning or preparation. I'm just going to let things fall where they may. And then, you know, whatever happens, happens. And we don't see that in Scripture either. We see that God is a big proponent of being prepared and planning for decisions. Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. In fact, we see as it opens. The plans of the heart belong to man. So you see, there is an automatic recognition that people make plans, that as human beings, we do that. And in this particular case, many is indicated. The plans of the heart belong to man. But what happens next in this verse is the key to it. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. He's literally saying, but the final say is from God. So you make your plans, the final say is from God. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We see this idea of being prepared in our decision-making and our choice-making. So even though we give everything to God and we understand that he has the final say, we don't just go, oh, okay, and just kind of make our way through life here and there and everywhere, whatever happens, happens, and just not prepared for what God would want to do from us. Because we see in scripture that there is a call to preparation and to thinking through and planning. It's important to do those things. Of course, with understanding that God has the ultimate say. In fact, this is so key that even becoming a Christian requires, and I don't think we talk about this enough in our, our preaching and teaching and things, there's an element of preparation that is involved in salvation and discipleship that we so often just blow over when we call people to come to Christ and we just leave them there. We say, oh yeah, make that one-time decision to come to Christ and then after that, you know, best of luck. Now, Jesus didn't even say that. In Luke 14, in fact, he calls those there to recognize the cost of discipleship. And he uses the illustration and the imagery of people, a king even, sitting down and making plans before going to war. He says, you don't just do that. You don't just go to war all willy-nilly. You sit down, you make plans, you strategize. People do that. They make plans. And he says, discipleship is the same way. So in reality, when we look at this idea of coming to Christ and being a disciple, it involves sitting down, recognizing the cost involved with doing that. Because I think so many times we as Christians and many Christians fail out of the gate because they don't recognize how difficult it will be to follow Christ. Rewarding? Absolutely. Both here and eternity. Totally worth it? Every minute of every day? Yes. But it's going to cost something. It's not going to be easy to follow Christ. In fact, it will be downright painful sometimes. But it will absolutely be worth it all, both here and in the end. Because when you know Christ, there is no end. It's eternity. It's eternity with the Lord, with God. But we see that even baked into the idea of becoming a Christian biblically. If we're doing it biblically, according to God's word, we're not just uh, writing down the writing our name on the line and saying, okay, I'm going to become a Christian, and that's it, it's over. And sitting down, sitting through, it's going, okay, yeah, 
I recognize God is calling me. He's leading in my heart right now to choose him because God chooses us and we choose him. And then saying, God, I'm going to give you my life and I'm going to live for you as your child, as one who's born again, who, who knows you and loves you. Whatever that cost is, I will pay it. I will pay the price that comes with living for Jesus Christ. It's sitting down, it's making a choice. God gives us the ability to make plans and he wants us to start with salvation. And then really through the rest of our life, it's saying, God, if we're serious about this Lord thing, and we're serious about following Jesus wherever he wants to lead us, that means in all of our decisions too, right? It's not just a trite jargon that we throw out. It's literally saying, God, I know that this is where I'm going right now, and I, I want to be sensitive to where you want to guide me and direct me. And whatever it takes, Lord, indicate it, and I'm going to plan and be prepared to go where you want me to go. Because that's what it's about. Be prepared for what the Lord is going to do in your life. Don't just go, okay, God, you're going to do something, do it. No, it's saying, God, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm, I'm growing in you. I'm reading your word. I'm talking with others about my faith. I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to lead other people to you. I'm looking for ways to grow, not even just spiritually, but also personally and professionally and all those other ways, because that's, that's all testimony. God uses all of that in order to lead other people to him. He says, be prepared. But he also says, make your plans, do your growing, but be ready to go when it's time to go because I'm the final word. And that's what it comes down to here. Plans of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is the Lord. Now, as we make our decisions and we're preparing to follow the Lord and to do what he's called us to do and how he's leading us, we see another dynamic that takes place here in, in verse 2. Because we're making our planning and we're getting prepared we have to be careful of self-delusion. Verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. So as we're preparing ourselves to be used by the Lord, to, to follow where he's leading us, we have to go, okay, God, test my motives. I want to do this, and I'm moving in this direction, but God, am I doing it for the right reasons? We're saying, God, look at my heart. And discern whether this is a me thing or a you thing. It's not just assuming that we're right. Because we can even make choices that are seemingly good that are not of God. And we can go, you know what, I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to do it for you. And it may not be what God wants us to be doing at all. So it's saying, God, constantly look at my heart. Is what I'm doing what you want me to be doing? Or am I doing this for some other reason that I may not even be aware of? And we see that here. Solomon writes, all the ways of man appear in his own eyes. Everybody's right in their own eyes. We, we all think we know what the right thing to do is. But we're called by God to let God test our spirit and to test our motives to mitigate self-delusion. So make your plans. Get prepared. Be ready for when God leads you to do something for him. But all of the time, constantly call on him to discern whether or not you're doing it for the reasons that he wants you to do it. And as you're doing that in the process, as you're being prepared, verse 3, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. This verse does not mean whatever you want to do, if you tell God, you know, God, this is what I want to do, I'm coming to you, so you've got to rubber stamp this thing, does not mean that at all. 
What it in fact does mean though, because we see the context here in the process, right? We're choosing to be prepared. We're calling on God to test our motives. Well, the assumption is, as we move into verse three, God has done that. And whatever it is that he's called us and led us to do is of the right motives. Well, then our work or what we're doing is committed to him. We, we give it to him. We don't take credit for that and say, well, this is my thing. I'm going to do it now. So I'm doing it for the right reasons, God, but now it's my thing. No, it's this constant giving to the Lord back and forth in the decision-making process. So we commit whatever it is to the Lord and God brings success because if it's his thing and we're doing it for his reasons, then he's going to bring success. But it's got to be all of those factors. It's got to be his thing. It's got to be for his reasons. And then he's going to make it happen. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word commit actually means to roll over onto. That's another way to put it. And when I thought about that, my first thought actually kind of went back to the whole horse and donkey thing. When you're actually putting something onto one of those animals, whether to carry it or if you're going to ride them like a saddle or whatever. So it's this idea of really giving it back to God. And saying, okay, God, it's your thing. I'm going to prepare myself how you want me to. I know now that I'm doing it because it, for the reasons that you want me to do it. And he will reveal it. He will reveal whether or not your motives are selfish or they're his. And then ultimately, giving it back or rolling it back onto him and then him bringing it to pass. We don't have to wander through life wondering whether or not we're doing what God wants us to do. I think most of the time when we wonder that, it's because we haven't done our due diligence on the front end. And we haven't really spent the time with the Lord. Spent the time seeking His face and His will and those kinds of things. Because if we earnestly seek Him, He will reveal those things. Will we write it in the sky? Or will we hear an audible voice? Probably not. But He will make it clear. He'll make it clear through various things. Through His Word, through prayer, through other believers, through circumstances. Sometimes even, going back to the donkey thing, we're not getting away from that. I mean, God used the donkey to bring about his will in the Old Testament, didn't he? When the donkey started talking. So he can use whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to let, his, let us know what he wants. He will do it. All he's asking us to do is be prepared. Be prepared. So as we look at God's word tonight, we look at these passages and these texts, we see ultimately that if we're going to make wise decisions, we must be teachable must be willing to learn from the Lord. We must be humble, submitting and revering him. And we must be prepared. So again, I ask, are you facing some decision or decisions maybe even today related to your family, maybe related to your job, related to some aspect of ministry or your faith life, or maybe just something in life in general? I want to ask you tonight, or rather encourage you tonight. In making these upcoming decisions, if you're not certain that you have done your due diligence, your do be teachable, your do be humble, your do be prepared, I, I, I want to admonish you right now. Take a moment in the silence that we have right here and tell God that with those decisions, you want to make decisions his way. And then commit whatever those are to him. Next. So you know what those decisions are. You're thinking of them. Maybe you've committed them to God. And if you have, next. Share whatever 
those decisions are that you need to make with their brother or sister in Christ, if you're able, depending on the sensitivity of it. Share with them what you're facing and ask them to pray with you and for you. And share with them especially that you're trying to make these decisions God's way. And do that so that they'll be able to pray in an informed way for you. Again, depending on the, the sensitivity. And they'll also be there to encourage you and help keep you accountable as you move through the process of whatever this choice and decision is. Think of someone that can pray with you and for you that you can share this with. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for watching us and watching over us and for wanting to teach and instruct and counsel us as we seek to live out your will in our day-to-day -day decisions. God, I pray that we would, as individuals and corporately, as a church family, that we would seek to be teachable, strive to be humble, and in the process of all of that, be working to be prepared for what you would call us to do and how you would lead us in the way that you would want us to go. God, we do give all of our choices to you and ask for your wisdom in them. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless as you go forth to preach, teach, and reach others with the gospel of Jesus.